So, Lord, we just thank you so much for tonight. We thank you for family and the truth that you are about to bestow on us. And I just pray that you come in force, Holy Spirit, come in power. For we invite you here, take control, do what you do best. And we thank you and bless you. I just ask that you give me the words to speak in your name. And it's in the precious name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. So, as I had kind of said before, I took cards from everybody about their fears. And, and so now I want to just give a short blurb. I don't know how long it's going to be. Normal sermons are 45 minutes. How long this goes, I don't know. But 45 minutes is a normal sermon. This will determine. But I kind of just wanted to, in, in the freedom that I received from the Lord of my fear, my desire is to see the same in you, to not be ruled, to not be held back by your fears, but to be set free. And so if you look at Romans 8, 15, you look at Romans 8, 15, and starting in verse 12, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. But you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. So if we're understanding what this verse is saying, fear is a bondage. Fear is a form of bondage. And we have been delivered if we are the sons of God, the daughters of God. And so when we look at what fears we have, fear can manifest in, in, a, in a bunch of different ways. Right? It manifests sometimes in anger, grumpiness, silence, sleepiness, anxiety, all that sort of stuff, right? But fear isn't necessarily bad. And that's what I want, to, uh, want us to understand. There's a difference between fear and then there's a difference between the spirit of fear. Okay? Fear is healthy. I have a fear of being burned. I'm not going to put my hand on this wood stove that has fire in it right now. I'm not going to do it because I have fear that I will be burned. That is a healthy fear. I have a fear of somebody pointing a gun at me. I'm not gonna sit there, I'm gone, right? We have fears that are meant to keep us alive. That is a healthy fear. But what I am saying here, and what I've been trying to talk to everybody about, and get us to understand that when that fear, which is potentially very rational, takes a step into the realm and prevents us from doing what we have been called to do, what we look to do, what are we are called to do in the Bible and prevents us and hinders our walk, that's when I think it switches to a spirit of fear and it controls us. 
And this is the fear that I want to break. This is the fear that I think the Lord is saying he set us free from. And so I pulled the card out and it ended up being Kristen's. And hers was fear of living in the tribulation. Fear of living in, through, about the tribulation. Smart fear. Smart fear. But so I sat down with her, and I got to sit down with her, mainly because she's a captive audience. And I sat down and I talked with her. And I was like, okay, I want to see, like, let's deep dive in a sense of why is this a fear? Why is this necessarily a fear? And so, you know, a couple things come to mind, right? The tribulation, the future. It's a fear of the unknown, right? We don't know the time or the hour that the Lord comes back and he kind of gives us figurative talk in Revelation. He kind of gives us direct talk in Revelation. And so it has been discussed and debated for years by people much smarter than all of us who have dedicated more of their lives to it than us. And they still go, oh, what's going to happen? Nobody can agree on anything except that at some point Jesus is coming back. Right? So it's that fear of the unknown, fear of what is really going to happen. And so part of it was like, Christian was like, well, I don't know if I believe in pre, pre-tribulation rapture. I don't know if I believe in post. And so it's that, that, that fear of, I don't know what's going to happen, that makes it, that turns it into something bad. And so, by having and struggling with uncertainty, instead of focusing on the issue and in in a way to solve that uncertainty, that feeling of uncertainty, we end up focusing on the fear itself. So when you go, oh, I'm going to live through the tribulation, and instead of saying, okay, how am I being taken care of by the Lord, trying to see the Lord through this, we focus on all the bad things. You know, because there are good things that the Lord is doing in this. And so when we were deep, deep diving and just, just talking with her, you know, I said, well, okay, you love Revelation. You know, she likes the Left Behind series. You know, she's, she's re- read, you know, Armageddon books and, and studied Revelation on her own. And, and so she's curious about it. But she's only studying it from an academic point of view. And so she hasn't sought the Lord and his answer to quench that fear. And so because she's afraid to hear the answer one way or another, basically it's her fear of hearing, hey, buckle up, kiddo, we're riding this out till the end. That, the fear of potentially hearing that has hindered her from seeking the truth. Seeking confirmation, a piece of confirmation. Not necessarily is God going to say, no, you're, it's post-trib, you guys have all been wrong to her. 
But the fact is, is she can eliminate the fear by seeking the Lord and putting him in that and replacing him, replacing the fear with him. Not necessarily that she gets the answer she wants, but removing that fear of that. And so it has in, in her life produced laziness in seeking him, in seeking to know what he wants. And by her own admission, ignorance is bliss. Not, not knowing and not asking is bliss. But doesn't the Lord say, seek me and you'll find me? So if you are afraid of something that the Lord is going to be doing, that he has told us he will be doing, don't you want to seek him in that? You know, if he has made promises in your life, don't you want to seek those promises? Don't you want to seek his fulfillment and how he's going to fulfill it? And instead being afraid to seek him because you're more focused on the fear than you are of him. And so I want to, I'm not here. This isn't, this isn't the time. And I am by no means a smart man when it comes to end times. So I'm not here to debate or try and sway anybody pre-trib, post-trib rapture. Or is there even a rapture at all? I'm not here to, we're not here to play that game and discuss. What I am here is to break the fear that, and the hold that it has to seeking him in the future. And the hold that that fear has on us. And so I want us to, you can actually stay in that same chapter, and I want us to understand one thing very clearly. Tribulation, and I'm talking specifically those, those seven years, the ones with the seals and the scrolls and the, and the, and the trumpets. Tribulation is for the sinner, not the saint. Tribulation is for the sinner, not the saint. And so here in Romans 8.35, I'll start in verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall we not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen. Who is even at the right hand of God who also makes intercession for us? And 35 right here. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. Wait a minute, that sounds like uh, everything that's promised. 
But okay, let's continue. As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any created thing, shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I'm pretty sure that encompasses everything. First Thessalonians 5.9. First Thessalonians 5.9 says... Starting in verse 7, for those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God, here, for God, did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. He did not appoint us to wrath. Our wrath was paid for on the cross. Hold on, let me correct that. Everyone's wrath Everyone's wrath was paid for on the cross. Everyone, saint and sinner, everyone's debt was paid for on the cross. It's just a matter of, do you accept that? Do you accept Christ? That's the ticket. And so go back to Romans 9. Romans 9, 14 through 24. And this is what I found. And I, th and I found it very interesting. Because if we think about, when we think about tribulation, the tribulation, we get kind of pissy about it. We get kind of like annoyed like, you're a God of love. Why does the God of love want to destroy everybody? You know, why is, it, why is he bringing plagues? Why is he bringing, you know, judgments? You know, and so we judge God for being too harsh. You know? And this is what, this is something that really, really stuck with me. These verses here. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Certainly not. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. So then it is not of him who wills, to make this clear, so it is not of Tyler who wills, nor of Tyler who runs, but of God who shows mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I may show my power in you, 
and that my name may be declared in all the earth. Therefore, he has mercy on whom he wills, and whom he wills, he hardens. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who has resisted his will? But indeed, O man, who are you to reply against God? Will the thing formed say to him who formed it, why have you made me like this? Does not the potter have power over the clay from the same lump to make one vessel for honor and another for dishonor? And this is, this is pay attention to this verse because this was what really jumped out to me. What if, Bible's playing what if games, what if God wanting to show his wrath and to make his power known endured with much long-suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he called, not only, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. So here we go. When we think of the tribulation, we tend to put like, well, Gosh, God, I think you're overreacting a little bit. But how long must a righteous God suffer and be patient with sin? He can't be a righteous God and suffer sin for eternity. And so, you know, you know we're not getting into this discussion, but... You know, you go, well, predestination. So it's basically saying there are vessels of wrath. He predestined people to die. And that's not quite the truth. Because the vessels are wrath, of wrath are predestined already because they're the ones that haven't accepted Christ. The vessels of mercy are the ones who have chosen to accept Christ. God gave, gives the choice to every single person in the world. Every single person gets that choice. If he isn't God, if he is the God who he says he is, every person has that choice. But there are two sides. If you accept Christ, guess what? You get mercy. If you do not accept Christ, you get wrath. And the, it has already been predestined before time in, immemorable that those vessels of wrath, which is not Ooh, he created Tyler to specifically be a vessel of wrath. No, he created a vessel of wrath and Tyler in his stupidity chose to not accept Christ. And so now that vessel of wrath gets just what was planned for those vessels of wrath. Not Tyler specifically, but anybody who hasn't accepted Christ. Because it is God's will that none should perish but have everlasting life. But because he is a righteous God, he has to make that decision. And it was already predestined. You accept Christ and my gift, guess what? You get mercy. You don't accept my gift, you get wrath. That's the long and short of it. So fear and the tribulation... The fear of the unknown, right? And how many of us, I will tell you wholeheartedly, if I am 
going to something and I have no clue how it's going to go down, I have to spend a couple minutes in the bathroom because my stomach is in knots. So I'm not immune to the fear of the unknown. So let's just clear some things up with the tribulation. Daniel 12. So let's be clear. Let's clear some things up about this tribulation. At that time, Daniel 12, 1. At that time, Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble, such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time. And at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book. So a time of trouble, such as there has never been. So you think it's bad now? Just to clear up the unknown, it's going to get infinitely worse. Markedly different than where we're at now. Matthew 24. And so in here, Jesus Christ himself is talking. And we're just reading, you know, the signs of the times and the end of the age. And, the, and his, his disciples come to Jesus. And Jesus answers him and says, take heed. Take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines, pestilences, earthquakes in various places. All these sorrow, all these are the beginning of sorrows. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then Many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. Famines, pestilences, earthquake. Just to make sure that earthquakes. Nations rising up against nations, kingdoms against kingdoms. And then you want to read more, you go to Revelation. And the fun starts. In chapter 6, went the first seal, the conqueror. Second seal, conflict on earth. Third seal, third seal, famine. Fourth seal, widespread death. Fifth seal, the cry of the martyrs. Cosmic disturbances on the sixth seal. Seventh seal, the prelude of the trumpets. Then we get the trumpets. And then if you keep, you know, keep throwing the, the pages back, then you get to the bowls. 
loathsome sores. Sea turns to blood. Men are scorched. Darkness and pain. Men are scorched. Darkness and pain. Euphrates dried up. The earth utterly shaken. So just to clear things up and make the unknown known, the tribulation is going to suck. It is going to be miserable. It is not going to be a fun time. So now that you know what's going to happen in the tribulation, and you go, that was really encouraging. Thank you so much. That sets my fear. I am no longer fearful of the tribulation. Great job. Well, good. Now I'm done. And knowing that you were super sarcastic in that. So Acts 7.54. This is concerning Stephen the martyr. And how many of us are afraid of death? How many of us are afraid of, if we're living through the tribulation, that we will be killed, that we will be a martyr? And so I want to assuage you, assuage the fear, counter the fear that you will be alone. Because here we are, the very first martyr, and it's not because, ooh, he's special, he's the first one. This is because God has promised to never leave us nor forsake us. And he says here, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and gnashed their teeth at him. And they gnashed at him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. I don't know about you, but I don't, every time I look at the heavens, I don't normally see the glory of God. But here we are, Stephen standing, seeing the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, Look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Do you think he even knew what was going on around him? When he is seeing the manifest glory of God, he is seeing the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, and ran at him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God, saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. He fell asleep. I would put darn good money that Stephen didn't feel a stone. Oh, they may have been hitting him. They were hitting him. But the man just saw the glory of God in heaven and the Son of Man, whom he just professed in an incredible way to the Pharisees, professed Jesus Christ to them, saw Jesus sitting at the right hand of God. I don't think he was earthly minded at that point. And so to counteract your fear that I will be made a martyr, Stephen probably had a, quite a good inkling of what was going to happen when he started preaching at the Pharisees and calling them out. But he it said he was filled with the Holy Spirit. 
I can't believe that you, me, or anyone else who is professing Jesus Christ in these times will be left alone and not be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I will believe until the Lord says no that they will, everyone will see the glory of God in martyrdom and probably not feel the headsman's axe, not feel the stones, not feel the sword, not feel the gunshot. Acts 12, verse 5. How many of us are afraid of being thrown in prison? Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. And when Herod was about to bring him out, that night Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers, and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison, and he struck Peter on his, the side and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. Then the angel said to him, Gird yourself and tie on your sandals. And so he did. And he said to him, Put on your garment and follow me. So he went out and followed him and did not know that what was done by the angel was real. But he thought he was seeing a vision. When they were past the first and the second guard posts, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them of its own accord. And they went out and went down one street, and immediately the angel departed from himself. And when Peter had come to himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all ex the expectation of the Jewish, pe Jewish people. No prison can hold us. If the Lord so wills, I will walk out of every single prison they stick me in. So if the Lord wills me to be out of that prison, I imagine in the tribulation I will be seeing angels and they will be kicking me in the side telling me to get dressed and let's go. But on the flip side, Acts 16, verse 25, we have Paul and Silas in prison. And, the, and miraculous things happen. Jail doors fly open. The earthquakes. Everybody's chains are loosened. And because Paul and Silas are so heavenly minded, so godly focused, they could have taken that out and be like, oh, this is our, this is our exit stage right. But instead, they stayed. And by the power of their witness, a man and his household were saved. So do you not think that the power of our testimony and that we, st by staying in that prison, 
could lead to yet another vessel of wrath changed to a vessel of mercy by the heart of God? I think that's a worthy price to pay. And so you go to Exodus, you know, and you read 7 through 10. Exodus 7 through 10. Chapter 7 through 10. And it's all the plagues of Egypt. But in Exodus 9, 26, in Exodus 9, 26, we know that nothing touches Goshen. None of the plagues touch Goshen where God's people are. None of the plagues touch Goshen. You know, you want to talk about the olive oil never running dry. You know, and the, the, the woman and the son never running out of bread to make during famine. Time and time again, you find verses in the Bible, stories in the Bible, to quickly refute everything that's going down in the tribulation. So there is no unknown in the tribulation. There is no unknown. He tells us how bad it's going to get. Pretty darn bad. But everywhere in the Bible is a testimony to him saying, I can deliver you. I can deliver you through any and all of it. I can protect you through all of it. But I will leave it up to you to make that choice of how far you want to go. Stephen said, I'll go all the way. And you have to believe, you have to know that his death at the hands of Paul witnessing him had a profound effect on that man. So there is no unknown in the tribulation. It's going to get bad. But the truth is, it's for the sinners, not the saints. And there is provision and there is testimony in the Bible itself to counter every single fear that you would have. And to show you that every step of the way, the Lord proves himself faithful. So Lord, we just come before you and we thank you for your truth and the words that you gave to me that I hope I spoke, Lord, with clarity and strength to your glory. And so in the name of Jesus, I break the spirit of fear of the unknown in the future off of those that are listening right now. And that it just be replaced by you. In Jesus' name, amen.